With episodes nearing 350 in the Stages archive, it's time to revisit conversations featured in our previous seasons. Stages spotlight such episodes in case you missed them the first time round, or so you can simply savour a second listen. Either way, you'll be accessing precious oral histories from the people who were there on and around our stages. The Yura Yarkin Theatre Company is Australia's leading Aboriginal theatre company based in Perth, WA, in the heart of Noongar Nation. At the commencement of 2019, Eva Grace Mullaly was appointed as Artistic Director. At her appointment, Eva Grace was looking forward to continuing such an inspirational legacy and building on the shoulders of those that came before her to lead Yuriyakin to a new era. Four years on, it is a delight to return to an early conversation with Yuriyakin Artistic Director Eva Grace Mullaly. Eva or Eva Grace? Uh, so What's the professional name? Eva, uh, in, impersonally yeah. and professionally, Eva Grace. Great. Yeah. Terrific, terrific. And you're a Yamaji woman? Yamaji. Yamaji? Yamaji, okay. yep. So, good. I'm, I'm looking forward <laughs> to being informed through Yamaji. this. Uh, Yamaji. Oh, so it's got a T. Yeah. All right, and that's uh, Midwest region of West Australia? Yeah, yeah, the Midwest. So I'm co- it's a nation similar to the Noongar nation, and there's several dialects across the Yamaji uh, nation, and I'm a Widi woman. So my dialect, my family, my mob, I suppose, is Widi, W-I-D-I. Right. Yeah. And are there um, specific cultural practices and, and beliefs particular to each Absolutely. Well, definitely, because it's different country so the in the sense that the landscape and the ecology and the economy not the economy but the ecosystems are very different for each um each mob yeah Yeah. so we're desert we're rock desert uh we have the towering uh they're not salmon gums but the towering gum trees as a canopy but otherwise it's really really red dirt desert with uh, skerricks of water yeah and what sort of arts experiences were you getting growing up was it visual arts, dance? No, mostly performing oh. arts, actually. Oh. Um, I grew up in the southwest of Western Australia. I didn't grow up in the Midwest. So oh. um, in the black dirt, I suppose, in country towns. And um, I had repertory theatre kind of interest and a high school and primary school interest in theatre. Um, but like everyone else, I wasn't taught that it's a career. Yeah. So I... I just, it was a, wasn't even really a hobby. It was something I did in high school to deal with emotions like teenagers do. And then I went on to do a, a Bachelor of Social Sciences trying to find a career and, and other uni degrees. So I didn't finish them, but other things. Never really finding what I wanted to do until I did the Aboriginal Theatre course at Whopper. Right. Yeah. So was there a teacher or an adult of any, any kind that was guiding you during secondary school, during the school drama and school plays and all that sort of thing, which... Um, not one person in particular. I mean, I suppose my science teacher in high school was the best storyteller, you know? Like, if ever we weren't um, understanding what he was saying or uh, what was going on in science, which I was good at, um, he'd just stop and tell us an anecdote or a story and make us laugh. And I kind of... I was really inspired by his process, actually, on on how to understand things because I I recognised pretty early that I don't learn the same way as your standard stream of of school and um so yeah the arts and storytelling and that big persona i suppose of um mr pereira was his name actually and he tiny little 
I'm assuming, and this is probably bad, but a tonal Italian guy that just would stop and entertain us for a bit and we'd get back into the science and enjoy it. Yes, that, that concept really got me into the arts. Stories are a, a great way of engaging an audience yeah. and informing. Yeah, like, also be didactic, yeah. engaging, entertaining. And kind of getting people out of their own head as well, do you know? Like, uh, for instance, in that science class, we'd get overwhelmed or um, the technicalities of it just got too much for us to compute after a bit. And he'd just take us right back to right out of it and then bring us back into it um, with this one with a story or an anecdote and it the world just became an easier place to navigate by doing that yeah why do you think you became a storyteller <laughs> um my responsibility to my community um and my my sense of belonging i come from a very matriarchal society and and i grew up with my non-indigenous side of my family with this sense of wanting to lead and this sense of wanting to um, educate, I suppose, and, and guide people. And I just, I really, oh, once again, recognise pretty early that entertaining people is the best way to do that. If you can educate through entertaining, then you're really smart. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna aspire to that, yeah. So you talk about the non-Indigenous side of your family. Yeah. Um, your parents, my father's um, Yamaji Noongar, my mother's not, my mother's not indigenous. So there's um, Scottish, English, Irish, German, Egyptian, and Spanish on my mother's side. And Noongar, Yamaji, and Irish on my father's side, yeah. So it's <laughs> the last name, Malayli, it's very Irish. Yes, yes, indeed, indeed. Yeah. So you, you've got, you're informed by all of those different cultural storytelling yeah. to um, be mm. the practitioner that you yeah, and there's also, I mean, I know there's a lot of people like me that learn through talking or learn through um, listening rather than reading and, and writing. I love reading and writing and I, I really love reading books and scripts and the rest, but but I can read a document until I'm blue in the face, whereas if you were to tell me in a couple of sentences, I'd absorb it in a second. So, um, yeah, I, that's one of the things I love most about what I do for a living is being able to inform not so much educate but inform just through words spoken yeah reading and writing there's something about that tactile nature of it yeah. um if i have to read a long document on a laptop or whatever i mm. print it off first and, oh. and read it i cannot do it on same a but then i still have to doodle down the side do you know i have to have pictures i think in pictures so mm. a dry document or a budget or that while i'm good at making them because i can see that the art in that actually reading them is a chore <laughs> when did you land in Perth? So I, mean, I grew up in WA and I came, I went from the southwest to the midwest to study that Bachelor of Social Sciences I was talking about and the gold fields to work for a little bit. So Kalgoorlie, Coolgardie. Yeah, Cal Kalgoorlie. Um, I went straight from, so I grew up in Bridgetown in the southwest and other towns but mostly Bridgetown. Went to Kalgoorlie. I, w I was a barmaid for eight years before I left, so I went and worked in the bars in Kalgoorlie for about eight months. That's a great grounding for storytelling. Oh, hospitalities to the arts, yeah. I can't recommend it higher, yeah. honestly, because you just Character you know study. people, you know, you see every um, breadth of, of character, yeah. And working behind a bar is a performance as well, too. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to, it's the same thing. You've got to leave your issues at the door and do the job with gusto, yeah, yeah. and love it. If you don't love it, hospitality like the arts. If you don't love it, don't be there. It's um, 
you know, you're never going to make money from the arts. <laughs> it's a horrible thing to say, but... <laughs> well, yeah, you've got, you actually, you've got to do it for the passion, you? got to, you? yeah, and, uh... yeah. So, yeah, I went from Kalgoorlie to Geraldton and then I saw a pamphlet for the Aboriginal Theatre course at, at the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts and was down here the next year doing that. I think I was 23. But and theatre yeah. hadn't really been on your horizon. It wasn't on my radar. It wasn't, really wasn't taught that it's a career. Um, and I don't... I don't do hobbies well. I, I put myself 100% into something or I don't. So, um, it, yeah, it wasn't. And also at 23, and this is the sad thing, at 23 I thought I might have missed the boat because you hear of these stories of um, famous actors being brought up in, in the arts and being child actors. And so, yeah, at, at 23 I thought I might have missed the boat. Or it was the family business. Or... Well, that's the thing, yeah. It was, yeah, it was like coal mining, do you know? You're brought up into it or you don't. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the pull of the Aboriginal theatre course at Wampa? Um, well, one, a bit more discovery of my culture because I was, I was in Yamaji territory when I saw the um, flyer and just desperate, desperately kind of grabbing at what I could of my culture to, to try and figure out my belonging, I suppose. And then... Because that's, yes, that's, that's a big part of our growing up, isn't it? Finding well, our identity and ex- who we are. Exactly. And, and who we're accountable to. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't having a great time of it in Geraldton, which kind of makes sense because it's not my country. It's we're kind of neighbouring to that mob. So it's Wadri mob and um, uh, Arts just off. And anyway, there are other there are other dialects. And so I was grasping at straws of a culture that was close to mine, but not mine. And when I saw the Aboriginal theatre course, I thought, well, maybe I'll find more of myself in that, as long as as well as my skills and my personal kind of passion for it yeah was there a desire to be anything in particular like an actor or a oh well it's or... always everyone wants to be an actor at first don't yeah. they <laughs> <laughs> and you're yeah I'm finding more and more with this job that a lot of people say I just want to be an actor and I kind of tip my hat to them and say good luck with that you know because you've got to wear many many hats um I also I think the reason the arts pulled me in as well as that sense of community um I've always loved circus and, and the discipline around the community. Um, and I found theatre had the same kind of community mentality. And because it's the arts, a lot of people that you know from beforehand don't understand what you do for a living. They've got no idea. No. And they don't understand that you can work 24 job. hours a day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that, that's a good hobby. Where's your day job? Is, yeah, you get that yeah. a lot. Um, and hospitalities was the same. <laughs> like, what are you, you know, what are you working behind the bar to get to? You know, like, well, I'm just working behind the bar, you know. And the answers had the same kind of arguments. Um, and once I found the community around theatre, I was okay with with other people not understanding it because I had a whole community of people that really did, and we understand the mental risks, the health risks, the the physical risks we take to be in this industry, yeah. And so after, during Aboriginal theatre, where you do acting, singing, dancing, and I even got into a bit of lighting because I just wanted to throw my hand in at anything, um, the lecturer there, Rick Brayford said, and it still resonates with me today, that, that we do this not, it's not because, what is it, we do this, something along the lines of it's not what we do it's who we are 
like we, we're in this industry it's not what we do it's who we are yeah. and that really resonated with me because I just realized I'm here because it's part of who I am it's not just a job yeah so the point of that course at WAPA is to create practitioners that are going to tell Indigenous stories? Well, no, it's to create Indigenous practitioners. Right. So um, the Aboriginal theatre course doesn't particularly focus on culture, but it does focus on Aboriginal theatre history yeah. and um, practices in, in our playwrights and our dancers and the rest. But we don't, because of the varying cultures across Australia, we, we can't teach culture in that course. Um, there's always a respect to the Noongar culture because it's on Noongar country. But other than that, it's about the playwrights from around the nation. The plays that have toured are being written um, and the practitioners, yeah. That's great. West Australian playwrights like Jack Davis. And- yeah, yeah. We always start with the Jack Davis. But then we've also got um, Stolen by Jane Harrison. We've got a lot of plays, a breadth of plays from around the country. Seven Stages of Grieving. Yeah, all of them. Black Medea, yeah. Brand New Day. Um, Which again is being uh, revived next year. I'm waiting for the next big musical. It's it's coming, I swear. (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll fingers crossed. Um, When did you decide to become a director? (laughs) Two years, not even a year and a half out of WAPA. I only acted in two plays. And I, what were they? I, one of them was for Yuri Yarkin and it was called Walu Is That You? And I did that for two years running. The kids play about from stories from the Pilbara, um, pretty much creation and Dreamtime stories. And it was a lot of fun. <laughs> but and, and also um, Black Swan, when it was in Netherlands, their youth ensemble, I acted for uh, Tear From A Glass Eye was the name of the play, really contemporary kind of absurdist piece. I did them at exactly the same time in my first year out of WAPA and both of them I realised that I kept talking the director around to what I wanted and so so then I was like, oh, well, I think I better throw my hand into that if I'm going to keep asking, if we're going to keep trying to do their job, maybe I should give it a go and, and I haven't looked back since, I haven't acted since either. <laughs> we were good actors. I don't think I was a good actor, no. Um, I wasn't really prepared to go to the lengths of my emotional tether. Um, You've got to really be vulnerable, don't you? You do, and I'm not a vulnerable person. (laughs) I say that begrudgingly. I wish I could. Um, It's just, yeah, I wasn't willing to go there, and so I decided I wasn't a good actor. Yeah, Even the silliness with the kids' shows, I just, I had a real fear of being silly. So I thought, no, this is not probably not for me, but I can see what you're getting at, so maybe I should be doing that job. Many Indigenous stories are confronting, Mm. disturbing, upsetting. How do you make them theatrical and retain the authenticity? Um, Well, someone asked me what I do for a living just before I got this job and I said I deal with trauma. And, of course, the instant instant thought then is that you work in the health system. (laughs) And I said, no, I make (laughs) theatre. Um... We're constant, and also we're constantly told to make it funny, and that's it's, it's insulting. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's insulting yeah. to a degree because how do you make trauma funny? Um, in a, it's an unnatural sense, but no one lives trauma every moment of their day, so you're always going to find the black comedy within, um, and that's the only way to keep it authentic. I think is is the the reality of the situation and being very authentic in the reality of the situation. Uh, on the flip side of that is the funny moments and they and they resonate the deeper you go into the the reality the trauma the more heightened then the comedy is um 
I don't know, did that answer your yeah, question? Absolutely. Yeah, and hopefully a catharsis of some sort. Well, yeah, um, there's always health in, in the arts, but I try not to focus on the health of it. And uh, I definitely try and focus on the authenticity of it. Um, I think us sweeping issues under the rug is detrimental to anyone. Well, as theatre makers, we're told never to let the truth get in the way of a good story. Yeah, that's a mantra of mine too. <laughs> but culturally, we've got a responsibility, don't we? To, we do. To tell stories accurately and with integrity. Mm, absolutely. And with respect. Yeah. Yeah. You've taken on many roles mm. in your career. Director, associate artist, administration, stage manager, tour manager, producer, event manager. Do you want me to go on? Yeah, sure. Actor, <laughs> dramaturg, lecturer and workshop collaborator. Mm. For any artist starting out, it's a great way to experience... All roles in the theatre, and, and yeah. Having, yeah, I think you have to have an appreciation, don't you, of what everybody does? It's oh, collaborative. You do, and and that's the thing. It is collaborative, and I kind of I pride myself on being whatever the industry needed me to be at the time. So when there was an extreme short of stage managers, which there still is, um, I went and learnt how to be a stage manager. <laughs> but I learnt how to be a stage manager so I could be a better director. And I went and tour managed around Europe with a dance troupe so I could be a better artist. And I'm not a dancer, do you know, but I really wanted to see the idea of how we go international or how we're treated, how we should treat people when they come into our countries. And yeah, I, I kind of put my hand up for anything going just for the experience of it. And because I really care about the industry. So I, I'm, I'm the kid that used to pull things apart and put them back together to see how they worked. And I've essentially done my best to do that with the industry yeah. yeah why do you think there's a dearth of stage managers because there's it's, like it's a because it's role, the isn't it? it is a very pivotal role and it's a very underappreciated role and um there's no thanks in it yeah. um i think the way we treat our stage managers in australia is dismal to be honest and they're usually the first to arrive the last to leave first arrive last yeah. to leave they do three times the amount of work as most people in that time and then they do it again the next day and the next day and they care yeah. Amongst all of that work, they yeah. really care. Yeah. And so, and and yet we're kind of conditioned to treat them like our butler, you know, <laughs> or, you know, um, our maid kind of thing. And that's, that's horrible. Yeah, there's, there's no team or collaboration in that for me. I, I really like my technicians and my stage managers to be treated on an equal, if not more so, par than the actors. <laughs> Your first role was assisting David Milroy on a production of Windmill Baby. Yes. What did you learn about directing on that first gig? Ah, uh, oh, so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I came in as in the creative development, so it was really cool to come in in that early stage instead of straight into rehearsals. I learned how to coddle, for lack of a better word, um, the actors that aren't really right. I learned how to manage that kind of situation, personalities, personalities and, and egos. Um, I'm not a patient person and I'm not a sympathetic person. So it was really, that was a big lesson for me, learning that you have to be gentle <laughs> <laughs> with actors. <laughs> um, David himself, since that moment, has taught me, has really taught me so much strength and, and learning and appreciating my own strength in the industry because I like to work in a team and I like to work collaborative and I really do see everyone working together as equal, he's had to take me aside a couple of times and go, Eva, you're the director. Do you know, like you need to uh, stand your ground or lead the way. Do you know, <laughs> and it kind of clicks in, getting that permission is really important. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and when we baby going into rehearsals, I was assistant stage manager, but I, but the 
guy that did the lighting design and the set design and everything was the stage manager. So we had to share the roles a lot. Um, I learned that in Aboriginal theatre, we don't particularly adhere to the labels and the job descriptions that the rest of the industry does because you can't. If the job's going to get done, you just do it. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and once again, more working with precious egos. Training's essential, but I think we learn a lot on the job. So much more yeah. on the job. But training can only teach you one way, you know, which is really hard. And especially I was the lecturer part of that was at Whopper with Aboriginal theatre students, and um, you can't teach them five ways of doing things. You yeah. you teach them the best way you know how, and hope that it has some kind of um, impingement on their career. <laughs> I suppose what you learn on the job is is very, uh, it's more, much more empowering. Yeah. Mm. What's your rehearsal room like? <laughs> is it fun? Yes. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm a, I think as a director, I'm quite a, I like to build trust really early because you can get so much more from your artists when they trust you and you trust them. Um, I also like to establish that I'm still the director, even though I, they're my friends and they're my colleagues and I love them and I will literally cook them dinner if they need it, but I'm in the room, I'm the boss. Yeah. yeah. But we have fun. I think when it, people are getting a bit muddled or um, having a any kind of a hard time, I stop and put some music on and we have a dance, do you know? Right. Be, because we need to get it, like that anecdotal thing, you need to get out of your head to bring it back in. Yeah. Are you good at collaborating? Is that something you enjoy? Yeah, 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 yeah. Collaborating on an equal stance, but that's actually really hard to do. I've, I've co-directed a lot and I've, I've collaborated with teams a lot and it's a, it can be the best thing you've ever done and it can be the worst thing you've ever done if you're not with the right people. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Uh, opening nights, mm. do you have a particular ritual that you go through? Stress, stress a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> Walk away, make sure no one else is stressing. Walk away, stress a bit more. <laughs> I mean, we hear the theatre yeah. has superstitions and people, you know, they have their favourite sort of gemstone that they yeah. rub or they keep in their pocket or whatever. Nothing like that for you? No, not really, no. I'll, I'll go and sit in the auditorium for um, while the actors are warming up and using the stage. I won't give notes or anything. I just sit to kind of absorb. And, you know, for all appearances, I'm cool, calm and collected and totally ready for this, but I'm, I'm really nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a couple of, I uh, had an actor from Cracked earlier this year say to me, do you ever stress? And I was like, yeah, but you'll never see it, you know, because <laughs> someone's got to keep their head, you know. Yes, yes. Um, and they have every right. And if they're not nervous, I get I get angry, but <laughs> like not angry, angry, but a bit um, put off because I think nerves come with the care. Yeah. And the more nervous you are, the more you care about what you're doing. Yeah. So I may not appear to be nervous, but I am every time. And then uh, the worst thing actually is the public speaking and the public presence afterwards. Because for me, I just want to go and be with my team and not debrief as much as support each other through whether that was good or bad and tell people that it was great regardless. And um, But it's not the process. You, you come out and you face the, the crowds, you know. <laughs> it's a big stage of the production process, isn't it? It's the, it's the birthing, it's the arrival. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, and also, as a director, that's the last time that you get to be the leader in that opening nights. Are you good at handing it over to the company then? No, I get major <laughs> separation anxiety. <laughs> um, just because I've built my team, you yeah. know, and I've built such good support around myself as well as them in, in the ensemble. And 
and then I have to let them roll with it. And, and you invest yeah. so much of yourself, don't you? And then for it to suddenly, it stops like that. Yeah, yeah. it's it's devastating, <laughs> to be honest. I've been known in much past productions to ring the closest person I am, to, like the, the person I'm closest to in the cast and ask how it's going and what's going on and give me the goss because I feel like I've just left my community. Yeah. You know, I feel like I've left... It's emptiness syndrome, you know, like off you go and live your life, but how can you live without me? Why don't you need me? Do you know, it's but really hard. I think as actors yeah. too, we also like the director popping in every now and then to well, say hello. Yeah. We, we, we want that reassurance and support and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Not all the time. Oh, no. But every now and then is great. Uh, I mean, I know I loved that, actually. My, our director came on tour with us, which I really loved, but um, it's it's hard as, as the director as well to pop in because so often your art has changed and... That can be really unsettling. <laughs> it, it kind of shows me that I haven't um, set the premise right or I, I haven't explained uh, the, the progression or the traje trajectory well enough if the art changed to a point where I don't feel like it's my art anymore or my contribution to the idea of it wasn't valid. Um, yeah, it, it affects me quite deeply. So I love you, seeing you my shows. Well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but then you have to call. It's not just a matter of notes. It's it's a calling of a re-rehearsal sometimes. And, yeah. and when things are on tour, you can't really do that. Yeah. So <laughs> that's, that's an extra call fee. <laughs> you, you, but there are also times where it's all running smoothly and everyone's still a really good ensemble. Yeah. And, and I want to see those shows. You can't pick it one way or the other. Yeah. yeah. Do you read reviews? I do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I read reviews. I want to know what people are getting out of it. Um, I definitely have reviewers I trust and those I don't really. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? To find out those people, would they be reviewers or, or good friends or colleagues mm. yeah. whose opinion you trust? Yeah. yeah, well, that's it. We also have very, very few um, Indigenous reviewers and critics. So Who understand the who form, understand it. style. Yeah. yeah, and they understand the story and the personal uh, journey of it. Um there's kind of a universal First Nations agreement that the colonisation and, and oppression is really similar globally. And so, you know, I can go to Canada or New Zealand and we just kind of look at each other and we get it. We, yeah, we get it. So what I did for Cracked was I flew in a friend of mine who's a First Nations critic in Melbourne. I flew him to here to watch Cracked because I really cared about what he said. And I said, I don't care if you trash it. I need to know how to be better. So if there's so fundamentally anything really wrong, please let me know. I'd love that to be in the papers because then the next one I can work on that and I can continue on. But we got a, in the same show, we got a review from a very um, uh, non-Indigenous middle-class uh, critic who I love, who couldn't, didn't like the production at all. And I read it and I went, well, that's okay. That's, I, I see where you're coming from. It's okay that you didn't get it because it's not for you. Yeah. So that's fine. Thanks for the thanks for the review. Yeah. Are we developing those First Nation reviewers? Very slowly. Right. Um, yeah, really slowly. Perth Festival are keen to look at trying to uh, train up some good reviewers in WA. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of the company in Melbourne and Sydney that has a few coming up through their works, but. It, it all started during uh, Jacob Boehm's Yerrimboy, 
when he had the Black Critic sessions and, and got four or five writers or and Indigenous writers or producers into learn how to critique the shows as part of your Boy. And right. so it started there and it's shifting forward slowly. Do you like touring? I love touring. Yeah. What, yeah. <laughs> what are the most enjoyable and challenging aspects of it? When I'm touring myself, um, when you're touring, the part of the day that you're not doing the show is just for you. Is you don't have to worry about your house or your bills or <laughs> you, know, like you can actually just focus on yourself for five minutes, which yeah. is, you can't do that at home when you're just, you know, if I'm doing a show in Subiaco and I live in Subiaco, it's home or work, home or work. There's no time for me. Um, I also really love the interactions with communities outside of my own. And I love part of my rider. So part of my agreement when I send a show on tour is that the artists get a welcome or a cup of tea with um, a person from that country, an original person from that country. And it keeps us safe and it keeps us from getting sick, which we quite often will if we don't get that welcome. And it's not an official welcome because official welcomes aren't for us, they're for the audience. Yeah. So um, I love engaging with the communities where I go to see whether they like the show or not or, or whether we're telling their stories well enough or yeah. whether the show is relatable on a national sense. Yeah. You've just returned to Perth from being abroad, checking yeah. on things. Yeah. <laughs> what were you doing there? Uh, so I went to, um, well, I was in Canada first, working on um, the Tri-Nations Touring Network, Global First Nations Touring Network, um, Tri-Nations discussions around New Zealand, Australia and Canada as part of Mushkomo, which was at the National Arts Centre in Ottawa and was the first national Indigenous theatre festival in the world. Wow. So just for Indigenous people, mostly just for Canadian uh, First Nations people at a National Arts Centre and it was astronomical, it was really good. Um, so I spent a really good amount of time there with my peers from around Australia and New Zealand having some very uh, head-exploding conversations that were very worthy. And then I came back and then I just ducked off to Dunedin for the weekend to go to their Young Writers Festival as part of the Fringe in Dunedin. Um, I sent a couple of my emerging and semi-established playwrights from here to Dunedin and I just went down to make sure they were okay and the relationships and everything were great and was on a couple of panels and talked about language in theatre and uh, cultural influences in theatre and yeah. And bringing back all that knowledge to Perth. And bringing it all back to Perth, yeah. that's right, yeah. Which is why you're here, you commenced the role of Artistic Director of Yuriyarkin on April 8th. I did. This year. <laughs> yeah, I signed the contract on my birthday on the 29th of March. <laughs> and then I went home, packed everything up and came back here. So I was living in Melbourne at the time. Right. Yeah. So tell us about Yuriyarkin. It's, um, I mean, stand tall mm. in the Nyunga language. Mm. Yeah. How, long is, how old is the company? 26 years old. Right. Yes, we started in 1993. I think that equates to 26, doesn't it? Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Maths is not my strong point. <laughs> um, and I've been working with Yuriyarkin for 17 years or so, at, since the, as soon as I finished um, Aboriginal Theatre, in many, many positions. <laughs> um, so the company, what I've always loved about Yuriyarkin is the community mentality of it and, and the core value of amplifying First Nations voices and being a platform for those voices to um, be seen. And I, yeah, I, 
the company has done, we've been through being a youth theatre company, a Noongar theatre company only, a state theatre company, a national theatre company and a global theatre company. And just in the last three or four years, Kyle brilliantly brought our stories back to this community because it felt like we were, the breadth was getting um, too impersonal, I suppose, and then started bringing Canadian and New Zealand shows to us instead of us constantly struggling to get out. Um, because getting shows out of Western Australia is hard, it's expensive. <laughs> and we're, I, I think we have a bubble over us. So the minute I left Western Australia, I was so employable. And here, it was hard to get work because we ha we're this ecology of our own. Um, and I thought that was at the detriment of our art, but when I went over to the East, I realised it's not, it's just different. Yeah. Um, and we very much are here for our own communities, whether you're Indigenous or not. Um, the arts community is here for ourselves and our health and our well-being. Um, so, and, and I honour that. I really like to recognise and honour that we just work very differently to the Eastern States, and that's neither a good or a bad thing. It's, it just is what it is, yeah. And having said that, a huge part of my future, my forward drive, is getting us national and global again. So the, the Tri-Nations conversations and things is a big part of that, yeah. And before I came over and did this job, I was the development executive producer or executive developer of the Blackfellow Performing Arts Alliance, which is a peak body over um, Aboriginal performing arts and, and Torres Strait Islander performing arts. And I didn't, I got to the point of incorporation and they decided it was too much work for one person, so... And I applied for this job. <laughs> yeah. So what sort of works are you doing here? Is it creating original works or mm. fostering uh, Aboriginal playwrights? All of the above. All of the above, yeah. All of the above. So we really, um, and I, I inset this as fast as I could, we, uh, we service an entire community. So we make children's theatre, we make teenage-based uh, theatre, or we have a youth ensemble for teenagers. We kind of work with every demographic in the in the most uh, beneficial way we can. So our main stage theatre shows are very much uh, targeted towards our communities. We have at the moment we have a hip opera in development. Um, early next year we have a Shakespeare done completely in Noongar language going on stage. A Fantastic. big big production um, which is seven to five years in the making that one it's huge yeah. and it's great and I'm so excited for it the hip opera going on is about um, the meth scourge or the ice scourge in our communities which is a global phenomenon ice is just rampant you know and so we decided to tackle it on with real stories and testimonial kind of stories but completely in hip-hop because it's more relatable to the generations that are mostly affected by the ice scourge yeah um, Next year we have a show about FIFO, so fly in, fly out work on the mines and, and the mental health around that, especially being taken off uh, out of and off your community country. Um, yeah, that's written by a playwright in Broome and kind of is a... Um, it's a collaboration between Kalari Media and Broome and us and their writers group. We have a writers group. Um, we're just starting up next year a regional writers group, which I'm hoping to bump out to five to ten different regional writers groups you know, so there really isn't anything that we aren't doing um and you know i want more 
<laughs> well, that repertoire sounds fascinating. Yeah. It's great. I suppose that's your job to be aware of who the practitioners and the playwrights and the actors and Absolutely. The, yeah. the subjects are that are out there. Mm, yeah, while well, keeping connected to the communities, yeah. And do you have yeah. a loyal audience? Um, we do. And we have the biggest... Um, we have the biggest Indigenous audience in in comparison to the other theatre companies, which there are only three of. Um, we have, and it sits at about 30%. So 30% of our audience are Indigenous or Noongar or West Australian. Um, but that's not enough. You know, it never is. It's It makes you wonder about accessibility. We also have a pretty loyal community um, audience in Subiaco because we've done... We're doing the hard yards and we've always done the hard yards on building our community reputation and relationships. We have a picnic every year for the local community. We had downside play last year. You know, we just like to know who we're involved with and who's who's in that house across the road that's going to hear our show, whether they buy a ticket or not. You know, we want to know who these people are. Yeah. Um, The arts community in general is really quite loyal to our shows because we exist in a different plane. Well, ashamedly, so, I had no idea Iriakan existed. Yeah, that's not uncommon. <laughs> so, so, how do you uh, how do you get the name out there? The word out there. I mean, I'm, 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 it's fascinating to hear, lovely to hear that you want to take works to the east coast. Absolutely. And, yeah. And nationally. Yeah. So hopefully, more people will. Um, uh, in recent years, because of that focus back on Noongar culture, we've stopped being a part of the national conversations, and so me coming from the Blackfellow Performing Arts Alliance. And the reason I mentioned it was I was a part of those conversations while I was doing that. So I'm taking my networks and continuing to be a part of the conversation. Yeah. I literally stood in a meeting and said, you're not leaving us out. I'm coming to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. you. Um, when I, it's going to sound bad, but one of my mantras when I left Western Australia was, when you live in WA, you assume the Eastern states don't talk about you and you're not considered. And when you get there, you realise it's true, but you don't care <laughs> because you just easily slip into that forgetting about WA. And so when I came back again, I was like, I don't, I'm not okay with that anymore. Do you know, I, I live, I work here and I create stories with the people here. So I, I need to make sure that myself or one of my staff members is a part of every conversation going on. Right. Yeah. The Shakespeare seems to be, well, it is grounded in, Western culture so much. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and you're doing the translation. Well, it's an adaptation. Adaptation. Yeah. Okay, adaptation. Uh, because I'm thinking the iambic pentameter. That's still Shakespeare. there. It's still there. Mm-hmm. So that must require a, a real specific skill set to yeah. and it's not honour the original <laughs> source yeah. and make it your own. It, it's not me, but it's not hard to champion, you know. I mean, Kylie Bracknell has been working on this for a long time, and I think it was about... Seven or eight years ago, um, Kyle, the previous artistic director, Kyle Morrison, was asked to take a, shake, a translated Shakespeare piece to the uh, global triathlon, global something thon, <laughs> um, in at the Globe, and people came from all over the world with translated pieces into their languages. And I didn't get to go because I'm not Noongar, but that's okay. And I don't like Shakespeare. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but what an experience. It was such an amazing thing. So Kylie Bracknell and Kyle Morrison got together and said, there is no way we can translate a whole piece in six months, but what we'll give you is six sonnets. And they found the sonnets that resonated most with Noongar culture and, and Kylie and elders of hers... Um, worked together to translate 
keep it in iambic pentameter and keep it true to form. Um, and then Kyle, Kylie, Trevor Ryan, and a, a couple of other brilliant Noongar actors went over and, and we've been rolling with them since. Um, so we went into Noongar Shakespeare program workshops at high schools, decided that what didn't work for us too well. So then we started the, what are the young, uh, the junior sonneteers. So our youth ensemble learning and a very different demographic of people. So it had to be 50% um, indigenous, preferably Noongar. And then after that, any young actor that or a young person that wanted to contribute, um, everyone auditioned. And our youth ensemble has gone from 12 people to 22 people. And next year we're looking at 30 plus. And they're learning all the sonnets in Noongar. So while all that's been going on, Kylie has been adapting Macbeth into Noongar with all the same characters, the A and B pentameter, but she's, it's an adaptation because she's focusing on the matriarchalness of Hecate, the head witch. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, it's, oh, it's just, and what an undertaking, you know, and the same actors have been with her through the whole process and learning their mother tongue. So it's been a really um, uh, emotional and evoking kind of an empowering journey for them all because I don't think any of them spoke Noongar fluently before before doing these creative developments. And now they're going to go and put on a huge play completely in their mother tongue. And and the elders are gonna be proud and sad and you know, the all the all the gamut of emotions are gonna rise with this one. Yeah. What a feat. Yeah. What's the best part of your job? Being able to champion people. Um Really being able to, like getting a call saying, oh, hey, can you be a part of this? And I go, actually, no, but I've got the right person for that. And being able to get um, wonderful West Australian artists that I've been working with for 15, 16 years, um, being able to get them around the globe and meeting all, all the amazing global people I've met and, and been able to work with. And just being able to send West Australian stories and people and cultures to the world. Yeah. Well, congratulations on your appointment, Eva. Thank you very much. That's uh, brilliant. <laughs> May you uh, go on and take your Yarkin on to bigger... Oh, watch this space. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. And once again, we prove why stages is essential listening. I had no idea that the Yarkin Theatre Company was producing such awesome work in WA. Please spread the word and support the exciting Indigenous theatre being created around the country. Eva Grace Mullally certainly sounds as if she's taken the company from strength to strength. I keep hearing my hay fever inspired vocals.